Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are in the world today, it is my to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ and to do as I always do, exalt him and place him in the highest place. There is none other greater than our God. We know that. And so we're very pleased to have be, uh, been chosen as the redeemed and to be able to exalt him and give him the, the praise and the glory and the attention that he is due, most assuredly. So, as I always begin with Psalm 19, the heavens declare his glory. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech and night unto night. Knowledge. That same psalm says there is no place where the speech is not heard. That means that all over this created world, the, the, the glory and the declaration of who God is, is apparent to every man, woman, every child. And you have to admit it is a it is a true statement because when you look out on the morning and the evening, you have to be amazed, right? This is wow, what a show. And that's why it is called wow, what a show. Because God in his performance of these things that we live in the natural order of the world are amazing. And they are definitely performing the good for us. Sometimes what happens is not so good. We don't think so anyway. But ultimately, there is a plan of God. And that plan is being fulfilled. And so sometimes when we have to deal with the sad things of life, with, you know, things that are devastating, things that are hard to look at, like tsunamis and earthquakes and the loss of life. We don't know. We can't explain it. We just know that God is indeed in control. Now, there are some who argue that God cannot do such evil things, and I know it's hard for me to even argue such a thing, but uh, I do respect that he knows better than I do about everything. And so if he allows a thing to be um, performed, it is for his ultimate plans and purposes. And therefore, I, I there's nothing I can say about it except, Lord, thank you for your preservation of the lives that we hold dear at the time that it actually comes to pass. And the time may come when that will, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to say that because I could be in the catastrophe as it would come. But we do know that the heavens declare his glory. We do know that uh, the day utters speech and the firmament shows his handiwork and the night shows knowledge and that we cannot ever deny. Good evening, Tony. It's so glad. I'm really glad that you're here. It's good that you are with us. 
Now, last week we had a, a um, I'm sorry, my name is Phyllis and I am the host of this show. And I want to invite those of you who sit in the listening audience to become a part of um, our reading of the book of John. And tonight I just want to reintroduce that because it's the way that I believe the Lord has for us to discover so much more about how Jesus interacted with the disciples and the people, um, and that um, in his interaction, he shows us a bit about uh, fellowship. He actually, I believe, is demonstrating to us the church and how the church really can be just so completely um, shored up with regards to our interactions with one another and uh, with our uh, love for one another (laughs) and just the way that we get along. I have always endeavored to do such a thing. And so I am doing it finally, you know, and I am trying to write a curriculum to help the newcomers and the old beers there, people who've been in the church, um, kind of, you know, understand and and get a a deeper experience or a deeper fellowship with Christ and with um and with our fellow believers. It's um I think very important. It has been important to me. And so as I am talking, whatever I say, you know what I mean, it's a discovery. I do not come knowing the, the the whole matter. I just come as one who is endeavoring to understand. And so I ask for the comments of all of you out there that you would help me, if you would, uh, become more savvy in the discussion of uh, the church. I do want to know more about it. I really do. So, as I said, oh, good evening, Miss Teeny. Oh, it's so good that you are here. God bless you. I'm glad that you have joined us. And I hope you heard that. I hope you will give me your comments, your ideas about church. Really and truly, I want to be a person who is very supportive in the church, but I also want to be a person who's very discerning and one who can offer support to whatever church is supposed to be. Um, I have over the years uh, wondered about many things that happened in church. And so I decided not to keep wondering, but to kind of uh, let the Lord talk to me. I, I really want him to talk with me. And the other the other thing that is important here to note is that I've, as I've talked to other people, especially younger people, about uh, the relationship that they have to church and maybe why they don't go to church. I've heard lots of very poignant and important uh, observations and interpretations. And these affect, I believe, the evangelism of the church. We are definitely living in an age when the uh, Christians, especially in this Western world in which we live, are deemed ridiculous, right? 
And and I don't want us to be deemed ridiculous. I want us to uh, show forth the love of Christ and to fulfill the charge that he gave after his death, before his resurrection, that you go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize, making disciples of many, right? Um, and that we be an example of the love that God has for all mankind. Hello there, everybody. Okie dokie. It's so good to see you all. I think Light Touch came in. Hi there, Ms. Light Touch. I love that. And I'm hoping a few others will come. So I have not yet set up a schedule for the reading of the book of John. Uh, I've I've asked a couple of people, you know, to join me. They're waiting for a schedule, but I, my my uh, schedule right now is very tied up because I am in therapy for the old knee here that's bothering me so bad. I don't know what I did to my knee, but it's very difficult to walk, and so I have to be out. And I am going to do some tutoring until uh, the end of the, the month. But I am going to set a schedule because I would love to have the Gospel of John read beginning now and to culminate at the resurrection uh, celebration time that uh, we can really discern and feel some things, right, and um, understand a little bit. I want to not pretend to be a scholar. I don't study like that. You know, I went to Bible college for two years, and um, what I had, had hoped to do during those two years is really probably learn history, but I went to Bible college, so I got some history, but not the detailed history that I would love to be able to uh, utilize or, you know, apply to my understanding of the, the Bible itself and our relationship with, with God and what God has done. But then sometimes I am glad I didn't because um, when I start to read behind some of the scholars, they go so deep into an analysis of the history and who wrote it and the time. And I, all of that is very necessary and it sheds a very bright light on who God is because there is consistency with God. But sometimes their discussions uh, kind of can plant doubt or can plant uh, skepticism, right? It, it, especially if you don't go with them the whole way. So if you don't read all that they write, you might be caught in, in, in a place that you might not want to be caught in. And so I don't suggest that anyone do that unless you're really called. Because you see, I believe that God is able to do what he wants to do in the way that he wants to do it. And as much as we analyze and skepticize and, you know, doubt and all this stuff, he's still God and he's still doing it his way. The thing about scholarship sometimes, and I listen, I love scholarship. I think you ought to be a scholar wherever you can be. I think you really ought to uh, follow the Bible's lead to study and show yourself approved unto God as workmen. We are workmen that do not need to be ashamed. We should never be ashamed. 
Uh, and so if you begin the journey of scholarship, you've got to keep it going because you're dealing not only with your own knowledge, but you're dealing with the knowledge of those who come before you, of those who are your peers, and, and you're projecting, again, interpretations, you're reading, you know, and studying, and you are also, excuse me, in, in an evangelist way, you are sharing with a world that desperately needs to know Christ. So with that, uh, you know, I'm not going to belabor that. I am saying to you, I'm not com coming as a scholar. However, I have read some information from scholars that is very useful in what I want to do tonight uh, or reading through the Gospel of John. And I, I don't know if you could see the... Um, the description, yes, the title, tonight's title, and probably the entire um, reading of the Gospel of John is going to really simply be a look at Jesus through the uh, faith and fellowship, and this through the eyes of John in relationship with Christ. And as I said to you before, Right. The Lord had me in Matthew for the longest. I kept reading Matthew. I keep listening to Matthew over and over again. I still, well, some, some real nuggets have uh, poured out of that, right? But nothing that was like, you know, well, maybe so. I'm just not writing a lot down. But I kept having to read Matthew, and I, I was wondering why. And then I started on this curriculum journey kind of thing and uh, decided one night to listen to the book of John. And I'm going to tell you, having read the book of John many times, many times, really, I just took a course on the book of John, you know, last year. And um, the, but listening to it the way I did this time, I began to really be astounded. And I heard a difference also, John stands away from the synoptic gospels. In other words, those gospels who are reporting kind of the same events over and over again, they are, um, what is it? They corroborate one another. John goes off a little bit from that. He does not present Jesus Christ in terms of just his ministry, that stuff that he was doing, doing, doing. John takes you into a divine place and introduces you to the fullness of our relationship because he had that relationship with Christ. And so did the other disciples, I believe. But somewhere it is uh, written that John was a disciple whom God loved. And I think at the Last Supper, John lays his head on Jesus' breast, right? And then at the cross, he, it is supposed that he's speaking to John uh, when he says, a woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. So there's this relationship, this kind of up close and personal experience that John has with Jesus Christ, the John, the disciple, right? And also John presents the fulfillment of the messianic uh, um, prophecy. He presents that as he is presenting Christ. And so tonight I want to begin again and reread 
just a few chapters. I may not read the whole thing, but I want us to stop. And before I even do that, I want to read something that I've taken from a commentary given at uh, the uh, gospel. What is it called? Gospel.org? Yes. I mean, yeah. Or Bible.org. I think it's Bible.org because it didn't print on my paper here. And I'm going to read from that. And, you know, I'll make sure that you get the right. I thought I had it. I'm so sorry. The right uh, reference here. But I want to read this. Now, when I was coming up, if a person came to Christ, they were pointed to the book of John as your first read. And I can certainly understand why, because he's presented in such a, a divine form there. He is presented as the son of the living God straight away, right? Um, and then there's this, this very uh, continual ascent that John uh, does with his relationship with Christ as he's presenting him, you see him really as the son of God. It's just upward, upward all the time, right? So I would never have known that the scholars had stopped kind of recommending it as the first read, right? Because it does not uh, hold with the other other gospels in terms of its parallel uh, reporting. Um, And I find that very fascinating, as a matter of fact, because this is what I think about God, right? This is how I see God. I see God doing a thing to prove himself. And then I see him doing another thing to draw us to himself, right? It's one thing to have the facts. Woo, it's something else to walk in the faith. And that's what's happening here. We are going from the facts to the faith. And therefore, not only that, we are repeating. So what John is, what the opening book of the Bible has attested to. Alrighty. So I want to read. This guy says that in 1978, Dr. J.A.T. Robinson gave a paper to an Oxford conference on the Gospels entitled, quote, The New Look on the Fourth Gospel. Now, John is considered to him the fourth gospel. In it, he suggested that if a new look on John existed, it could be distinguished from an old look. And, the, the you know, the preceding words tell us that there was once a time, you know, in a time period, John was this favorite gospel to, to introduce to uh, new believers. But then it moved on the back burner a little bit because of some other things that were, you know, being looked at and questioned and all that stuff. And he further said something like John wrote the gospel that he wanted. He created this faith thing that he wanted uh, uh, to put forth. And so he's not just quoting the facts kind of sort, and I'm definitely paraphrasing. And he continues to say, um, he set out, what he regarded as the five presuppositions belonging to critical orthodoxy in the first half of the 20th century. Critical orthodoxy, that's holding fast word by word to that which is. And then the presupposition is what you assume to be right. Okay, it's already there in your head. This is what we uh, presuppose to be 
what it ought to be, right? And he says belong to critical orthodox of the first half of 20, 20th century, so far as the interpretation of John's gospel was concerned, and tried to demonstrate that each was in need of and in the process of re-examination. So he's saying that they he's got these uh, presuppositions that cause them to know that they need to re-examine the gospel. So they're taking a new look at the, the gospel of John. And these suppositions that are listed by uh, Mr. Robinson are these. Here they are, number one. And I'm only concerned with number two, so I'm, I'm going to read them for you, but I'm not going to deal with them at all. The first is that the fourth evangelist is dependent on sources, including at least one of the synoptic gospels. So, so he's saying that, you know, that he he's drawing his material from uh, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And now he's saying that his background differs from that of the tradition he reports. His background differs from that of the tradition he reports. Maybe that's not the word. And then number three says that his work is a serious witness, not to the Jesus of history, but to the Christ of faith. That's the one I, I really want to highlight here. He, the, the fourth one is that he reflects the latest stage of theological development in the first century Christianity. And then the fifth one is that he is neither the Apostle John nor an eyewitness. So they come to say, well, it's never mentioned. His name is never in the Bible, in the, in the book. So we don't know if he wrote it or not or something like that. So they're reexamining all this stuff, right, uh, based on it. And I'm telling you, it was a cursory read because there's a lot to read. And I did not take, you know, any notes except these. But I want to focus on this one thing, that John could have been and has been, I believe, appointed by God to show people, a person, in true, deep fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so John's gospel comes not out of history, but out of an experience of faith. Tell me that that doesn't just make good sense. Tell me that that just doesn't sound like our father to do what he does, right? You can go to church and you hear the facts of the Bible. You can hear uh, people tell you all the time that this is true. And historically, this is why it holds out. And you look at it and I'm telling you, there'll still be some skepticism in you. Even if they put the truth in front of you and it started burning like fire, you still would have that that inner person thing going on. But when by divine appointment, the Holy Spirit presses into you and you begin to have the witness of what is being said. See, that's totally different. And so we're going to look and build this uh, curriculum thing and we're going to examine Jesus Christ in relationship. And I believe that is going to tell us much more about the church. I do. And I believe it because the Lord turned me on again to John just as I'm contemplating this thing I want to do. And remember when I told you last week, when I wrote the manual to help dancers uh, create movement that was going to be appropriate 
in, in my eyes, right, appropriate for worship in the church. Once I, I pained over that thing for so many years. Oh my goodness, you all just don't even know. Doing anything like that to share like with, with, with such consequences is hard for Phyllis. I, I couldn't release it. I just couldn't. And I kept thinking. My advisor even told me, she said, this is a work you'll work on for many years, but you got to let it go now because you need to graduate. You need to finish up here, right? And uh, so I took her, you know, after much pain, I took, I took her at a word and I turned that project in. And it was not even up to my standard. There was only one part of it that even came close to what I was really trying to do. But the book, the manual, did me a lot of good. I never let anybody else use it, but I used it, right? And that's what I'm saying is going to happen. I believe it's going to happen here. And if you come along with me on this journey, something might happen for you. I don't know. But I know that your participation in what I am endeavoring to do here, my search for the solid answer of what church should be is going to emerge. And it may be that I write the curriculum and nobody ever uses it, but I will have used it. In the writing of it, I will benefit. I am so sure. And when I started the outline for this um, curriculum that I'm writing, I started with who is Christianity, right? Just who is that? Because for every Christian, we already know it's not a what is Christianity. It is who. And in finding out the who Christianity is, we discover ourselves in the what. If we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God really did send Jesus Christ to die for your sins and mine, for our sins, if he really has done this miraculous thing of drawing people as the cross has been lifted up. If indeed folks really do come to a transformation of mind and heart through this access that we have by way of Jesus Christ to the almighty one true living God, then the quest is of every quest in life the most important. And the who then becomes the most important person to know. And that's where we're going. So, like I said, I'm not going to read probably the entire uh, chapter again, but I will read again these first verses, which really floor me. And I may go again through the whole chapter. By the way, if you're interested in reading and, you know, kind of helping, walking us through a chapter, please, please tell me so. Please, please tell me so. And I am thinking that we will read uh, four or uh, five nights per week and uh, we won't read weekends. Or maybe we will only read three nights per week once I work out the schedule and know how many 
uh, days we have before the Resurrection Sunday, then uh, you know we, I, I will I will appropriately uh, set that that schedule. So we begin, and I begin with prayer, Father, Father, our Father, God in heaven. We ask you. I ask you. Lord, for my benefit and for the benefit of every listener to walk with us through your word, this gospel that you've put on my heart and on my mind, Father, that you would unveil any hidden thing so that we can begin to really, really penetrate this experience called rebirth and Begin, Lord God, to soar into the divine. As it is written, we are seated in God with Jesus Christ. We in Christ seated in you, Father. Lord, please, I pray, help us to see it. Help us to understand more and show us how to live in that place always. And to really know that we are never outside of your vision. That you always see us. You always know us. You're always God. You always hear our prayers. You always provide. You always are the great God who created everything and knows all about all of us. That we can ask you anything according to your will and your word says we have those petitions. That we can live in peace because we are seated in the Prince of Peace. Father, bring us through. And then, Lord God, I ask that you would cause us to repent daily of every thought, word, action, deed, anything that is contrary to the way and to our rebirth. And elevate us, Father, to live in the spirit and not partake so much of the flesh. But I know you understand that we are indeed people who have been redeemed. And so the battle is, Lord God, the ascent that you're calling us to. That's our, that's our uh, battle. That's our constant uh, warfare. And we want to live in the victory that you've already brought for us. We want to live and know that through Christ Jesus, we are always victorious. I ask it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And tonight I repent of my own sins before I begin. I ask you to forgive me, Lord God, wrong thoughts, wrong decisions, wrong assumptions. Bring me, Lord God, into an understanding of righteousness and out of, Lord God, the constant fall into unrighteousness. I pray and I thank you for it. Everything I've asked, I pray and I thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first chapter of the first, um, the first verse of the first chapter reads this way. And I went in my Bible. I love this open Bible. That's the one that I use. It is written, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the word was God. Hmm. Can we go any further? Is it possible to just read that and keep on reading? Don't you just have to stop and say, huh? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He goes on to say that the same was in the beginning with God. And that all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Right there. And uh, I want to go back to Genesis. And I'm just going to read it, right? I, I don't even think I'm qualified to do much commentary. I am only qualified to respond what the words do in me is stir up a faith, an excitement, uh, and an unveiling. Because in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the book Genesis, the beginning of all things, it is written, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, he spoke. A word came forth, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Remember, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him, not anything that was made was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness. Now he's bringing it into the appearance of Christ. The darkness comprehended it not. I, I find this, I'm sorry, just so amazing, so fascinating that we pick up once again in the gospel, the moment that Jesus Christ has come into uh, the, the uh, fullness of his purpose from the beginning. And John, this apostle or whoever wrote it, I'm thinking John did, picks right up on what God did from the beginning. And we now are the recipients because he goes on to say that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. Now, this is not John who wrote the gospel, the disciple. This is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, repent or prepare you the way of the Lord prophetically, you see. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He bore witness. Remember that God always has a witness. That in himself, there is a witness. And then he sends John to announce, as it were. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, because he's here. He, he is here now, and you are going to encounter him. And John, he said he was not that light. John wasn't the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He, John already told us, the disciple here wrote, he was a light, and the light shone in the darkness. That, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And then he says, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. And remember in Genesis, it said, let there be. In Genesis, it, if you go on and read the creation story, God created life after he created it, you know, made the, the place where this life would live and be and, and be able to breathe and eat, etc. He created and one life after one thing after another life, life in him was light, the light of men, and he was life. And they pick up. It's the same. It's almost the same reading for me. I don't know about you, except that it come. He, he comes from the, the place of creation into the creation, into the created, that thing which he has created, knowing that from the foundations of the world, he already knew what was going to be necessary for the redemption of mankind and the establishment of a kingdom that would be eternal and would never pass away. The redemption of men. So he says he came unto his own and the promise was that he would. Abraham, he gave a promise to, and he kept his promise. And this shows God is a promise keeper. Whatever he says, whatever he says he will do, you can just put it in the bank or take it to the bank, as my brother used to say. And he said, he came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were not born. He wasn't born after the will of man. He was not uh, of the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. And that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm sorry. I just get, I, I mean, I almost can't read the whole thing. I am so carried away. And this isn't the first time you see when the Lord began to really sanctify my life all those years ago and call me up in the morning to spend time. Oh, my goodness. I can hardly think of it without being overcome with a gratitude and a worship for who God is. Right. He showed me this way back all those years ago. It astounded me then that it was connecting so beautifully. And the season has come again for me to be re-astounded, <laughs> to go again, because the world is so full of chaos and evil. And there are so many people 
who don't believe close to you, close around you. There are people who live as if this is not true, that this is not so. But the witness of it is in the believer, the power to have become a transformed being and be called the son of God is in us. We cannot escape it. And if you escape what you have witnessed internally, spiritually, wow, how sad would that be? No, the promise of God is to keep us even when we cannot keep his word. He promised to finish a work in us even when we have not the wherewithal to understand the fullness of all things. He still keeps his promise, right? He keeps his promise. And in this uh, reading, he tells us so. He says uh, that, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. See, he might have, John might have been the, the older of the two. But he's not before God, nor you, nor I, nor any man, nor any philosophy, nor any scholar, nor anybody, nor anything, nor any history, nor any anything. Because, you see, he is before all things. In the beginning, God created and he, the word, spake, was with him and that word had the life, and that word was and is the light, right? And of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. I love those words of his fullness, of his fullness, of his fullness, we have all received, in other words, all that he is and has done and prepared, we have received it. And if you didn't receive it, it is available, really, but you have received it. Life is in you, right? Light can be in you. The, the benefit of his created world is with you. Of his fullness, we have received everything he made for the upkeep and the maintenance of this world was for the benefit of those who would live in it. And that's why we have received of his fullness. He says, and then grace for grace and of his fullness have all we received, and that being grace for grace. His grace poured out to us 
His grace, his goodness, his un, um, we, we didn't do anything to get it. We don't deserve it because we are not people who really do worship him like that, right? But he gave it anyway, his grace. And in return, there is a grace. There's a gratitude. There is a response. And that response, honest to goodness, really, when I think about it, right, I think, um, there are those who respond in worship and there are just those who respond in the pleasure of it all. But everybody responds. Grace for grace. He did it for grace. In other words, we give back to him. For the law was given to Moses and grace and truth, both grace, generosity, unmerited goodness, a favor to mankind, a bestowing of good upon those who don't deserve good, right? <laughs> and truth, he shows up as the only truth. This is the truth. Jesus Christ bears it because he is the God of the universe in human flesh. For the manifestation of his glory to man, the proof of his existence to man, the power of his redemption for man, and the benefit of all that comes once we are redeemed. Jesus Christ. You see. Oh, can we not just praise him? Mm. No man hath ever seen God. Not at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And that's what Jesus came to do. He declared Jesus in all that He is. See, because what we, we, we talk in the past tense, because we didn't live during the time that he lived. Remember, he said, blessed is of the, are those who have not seen and still believe. So what he did, who he was, who he manifested himself to be, and the declaration of who God is, it happened in that time period. But it's sustained even to us. We don't need to see him. Oh, well, it would be lovely too. We do need to see him eventually. But for that sustenance, that divine sustenance that he came to declare there, is it's sustained. And you remember I told you I talk a lot about dance. And there is in dance um, an energy, right? And a quality of movement. And one quality is sustained. When you see a movement that is sustained, it moves through space at a very even, long extension. It is beautiful. Sustained, sustained, sustained. It lives there. It's not quick. It's not harried. It doesn't move fast. It is the exact opposite. And so God has the power to sustain his truth, his grace, his fullness throughout eternity. And by the way, it has been since the beginning of time. It didn't just happen when Jesus came. 
Because you see, God was already doing what he was doing. And there was an appointed moment in time when Jesus Christ would show up. But from the very beginning, right? There's a sustained experience of God in the earth. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. And if I'm wrong, Father, you will correct me in anything that I say, in anything, Father, that I propose. Remember, I told you I'm not a scholar. I'm responding to God's word. I am living what he will actually unveil for me. That's all I'm doing. I don't pretend to be a scholar or know it all. And so if you discover that I've been wrong on anything, I am very willing. But by the spirit of the living God, I live through this with such a profound excitement, a deepening knowing. And I just want the world to know God. And we must approach him through the Son. Jesus Christ. That's what he said. And that's what he meant. And that's how we do it. And so we go on. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then art thou, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we might give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 37. The prophet spoke, and the truth of every prophet is that it comes to pass, and here it is. And once we are establishing Christ as the one of whom Isaiah prophesied, and there it is. And as he said, as as said the prophet Isaiah, these are the ending words of John. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why then do you baptize if you are not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know, for he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it. I am not worthy to unloose. Now, look at the position of John. You know, uh, Jesus later on tells us there's not going to be a greater prophet than John the Baptist, and yet, yet the least in heaven would be greater than John. Nonetheless, John, being that person who was privileged to be the forerunner, takes his position. I am not worthy. Humility. In humility, 
taking over. When you are really in his presence, you really do know your place, right? Can't help it. In the face of such greatness and such glory, we cannot stand and we have nothing to declare. You know, when you travel around the world and you're coming back, I don't know, I've never traveled around the world, but my husband has. And so when he's trying to bring stuff from his homeland, right, and gets to customs and they say, do you have anything to declare? And so if you have valuables, you have to put them out there, right? But we stand before God and they, do you have anything to declare? And the answer is straight up nothing. (laughs) I have nothing to declare except that I have been the recipient of God's grace and his mercy and his love. Oh, my. We're going to stop right here. There's so much in this first chapter. So we're getting to know the who, right? And right now, His name is above every name. He is the fulfillment of God's plan for redemption. Okay, we could go on and on. You know, when I quote Psalm 19, it's almost I can't stop. The heavens declare his glory. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utters speech. Night unto night knowledge. There is no place anywhere that the speech is not heard. And when you stop on each line, you say, the heavens declare his glory. Okay, you look up, you see the clouds. You see an atmosphere that has no solid base. There's air and hydrogen or oxygen. All that is mixed out there. And so you see this air. You see an infinite uh, uh, continual space. And I could go on, right? And then you say day under day under speech and you start thinking about the tweeting of the birds and the hum of the bees and the flitting of the butterflies and the blowing of the wind. You can just go on and on and on and on in terms of the declaration of this glory and night unto night knowledge, the darkness, and yet the moon is up there. So, you know, and the light is such that we don't have to live in complete darkness and the twinkling of the stars. And even when it's overcast, it's not pitch black dark. You know, you can just go on and on and on about this great and wonderful God. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we just thank you. It is a powerful and beautiful thing. It is astounding. Yes. Thank you all for coming in and allowing me to... That's so crazy. Uh, Yes, mommy, it's a pleasure and a blessing. Oh, God, thank you. It's so good to have fellowship. And as we journey through John, as we look at uh, uh, Jesus Christ through the faith and fellowship that he had with both John and the other disciples, we're going to experience, I believe, our big 
hug from God. An embrace like no other embrace you've ever had. A love that you've never felt nor ever can feel from another man in this world. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to be in him. We're going to be esteemed like never before. We're going to also be humbled and worship and esteem him as we do others greater than ourselves as his word tells us to do. Because the heart of God, his own spirit now is living, guiding and being with us. We have been given the power to become, to be, or to become progressive, his own children, the sons of God, so says the word. Thank you, Father, for that privilege. Lord, that's higher than we can even begin to fathom. Ooh, when we imagine, I, my imagination won't even take me to the uh, bounds that, that exists beyond the realm. My imagination won't do it, but your word somehow penetrates our minds and we are able not to imagine it, but to live it, to actually live it. Thank you. Glory be to your great name. Dolly Parton wrote this beautiful song, and I just can't get enough of hearing it. She never calls his name, but she says he is everything. And the word says, we see him when the children are playing. We hear him when the bells ring on wedding days, right? We uh, feel him when the uh, winds blow. We adore him where the flowers grow. Oh my goodness, he is everything. Mm. He's just everything. And he is just everywhere. And his love is just poured out just poured out from the cross, so extended and so eternal. Blessed be his name forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for being so near. And Father, I ask that whoever hears our discussions if they don't know you, God, that you would penetrate their very existence with your truth and your grace. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. And for that, my darlings, I give you um, thank you again. Hmm. For joining me. And I pray that you have dined as royally as I have. And that as we go tonight, you will be rejoicing with me. 
And uh, with that, I invite you to join us again. And I will start, of course, reading the entire book. Now, I didn't, I didn't try to read the whole chapter tonight because we did indeed read the whole chapter, but there is so much more in this chapter to, di- to discuss and to draw out. And um, so we'll probably pick up, right, and pull out those nuggets and move on to chapter two in our next meeting. God bless you all. Have a wonderful night. And go forth rejoicing, knowing that grace and truth have come to us all. And uh, by his grace, we'll see you again. Take good care. I love you for all that you are and have given me. God be praised. Have a great night. And remember, when you're at dinner, and dinner has been wonderful, right? (laughs) You can't help but laugh and and enjoy the company. So do just that as we go forth. Good night, all.